Hi, everyone. I'm Megan Berg. And I'm Dr. Jeanette Benegas. And we are here to fix SLP. We are discussing the biggest challenges that are currently holding back the field of speech-language pathology. We present the issues with facts and invite you to be part of joining our movement to make things better, one conversation at a time. Let's fix SLP. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Fix SLP. We have a really kind of different episode today. Megan, why don't you tell us about it? Okay, so today we're going to talk to three SLPs. One is a business owner who has decided to stop paying for the CCC this year. One is an SLP with decades of experience in the field who never got her CCC as an SLP. And one is an SLP from North Carolina who is working to change state regulations related to Medicaid billing. So we're going to watch these um, together and kind of discuss them as we go. And we'll start with the first one. And this is Kristen. And Kristen owns a private practice. And like I said, she has decided this year to stop paying for the CCC. Do we know what state she's in? Is she going to talk about that? Okay, so tell us just a little bit about uh, let me look that up. Your SLP career. Oh, yeah. You, She does talk about it, and she is in Pennsylvania. Okay, perfect. You are Thanks. the owner of the Magic Speech Bus, right, which is amazing. I was looking at your website. It's such a cool concept where you have this very fun bus that you park um, like near an outdoor area, right, so families can spend time if they're waiting, playing outside, or you can also take the therapy session outside if you want to. But yeah, such a cool concept. So just tell us Thank about you. your career as an SLP. Yeah, you pretty much uh, hit the nail on the head there with what I do. So yeah, I'm Kristen, Kristen Park, and I own the Magic Speech Bus currently. Um, I've been doing that for about a year. Uh, I officially got the bus earlier in 2023, but I was still doing outdoor um, private practice um, starting late last summer. And then before that, I worked for several years in a different private practice setting. Um, working for somebody else who owned the practice. Um, and I spent my CFY, as many of us do, in the school setting. So I did a year in uh, a public school setting. And then as soon as my CF was done or CFY was done, I got out of there and got right into private practice. Um, so overall, I've been a, a practicing SLP for going on seven years, I think, um, seven or eight. So that's what I've been doing thus far. Great. And are you dropping the CCC this year? Is that the plan? That is correct. Um, I, as everyone does every year, I'm like, do I really need it? You know, do I have to? So finally, especially with everything that you guys have been putting out there online, I was able to take the time to really look into it and instead of just complaining and then sending the check I actually said okay well what is this doing for me what will it could it do for me in the future you know weighing the pros and cons of keeping it so i finally decided this year i'm going to drop it um for a number of reasons one of them being because i own my private practice now i am my own employer um and i don't plan on that changing anytime soon and there's really no reason for me to keep it 
primarily what I do. And oh, I should also say I'm in Pennsylvania. So for me, I don't need it for billing purposes. And I'm mostly private pay anyway. And my intention is to go fully private pay. That's a whole nother conversation about insurance. Yes. <laughs> um, so for a number of reasons, I just decided this was the year. And I have already submitted the resignation. Um, I think they called it an affidavit, maybe. And then I got a response from ASHA and they said, message received, you're out. Wow. Um, did when you were filling that out, did it say on there that you can know something about like you can no longer be a practicing SLP? Like, was there confusing language around that? I don't remember if it said that exactly. I'd have to pull it up. Um, but I know even on the website, just to get to that form, um, it did the language on the website indicated that you needed to call the action center before sending in that form. So um, it said something like to go over all of your options and see if, you know, there's something else that you can do. So I called the Action Center and, you know, very nicely, calmly explained that I wanted to drop the C's. And the woman on the phone said, okay, send in the form. She didn't ask, you know, why I wanted to do it or, oh, she, you know, she wasn't doing her right. job. <laughs> she didn't go over any other options. She just said, okay, you, you don't have, basically like, she was like, you don't have to call, just send in the form. So I sent in the form and within a couple of days, I got an email that it was received and confirmed. And basically Asha said, goodbye. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> so. Do you feel like. Not having your CCC makes you a less competent clinician. Sorry, I'm, we'll come back to this. But Jeanette, you were the one that told me about this document that's the CCC resigned affidavit. And I have it pulled up now. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading at the bottom, it says, so this is all like you have to say that you want to wish to resign your CCC and that you understand a bunch of things. And then at the bottom, it says individuals choosing to continue as or become a member without certification must read and agree to the following statements and continue abiding by the ASHA code of ethics. And you, you have to agree that you are not practicing clinically or an active CCC is required. You do not and will not mentor or supervise a clinical fellow. You do not and will not provide or supervise clinical services and you will pay annual membership fees upon receipt of the annual invoice. So just to clarify for people listening, if you fill out this CCC resigned affidavit, basically ASHA is saying, we don't want you. Like if you don't have the CCC, you don't get to be a member of ASHA. And I do think that language is confusing because I think some people could read that and take it to mean that they aren't allowed to practice clinically mm -hmm. without the CCC. Yeah, we've gotten a couple questions on that. Um, and I think it's good to clarify here what might happen too. So if you don't want to continue your CCC, you could certainly just not pay. But then I would be prepared for them to hassle you and email you and all of the things between now and you, ha you have a year, one full year before you would have to qualify for reinstatement. So what that means is paying the reinstatement fee, retaking the praxis if needed, and providing any CEUs that they've asked for. That that if you if you let your C's go, that's what you need to do to get them back. And to clarify, you do not have to repeat your your fellowship. You do not have to go back to school. 
Megan and I have researched that. We have talked to ASHA. Those things, if they were once required, are no longer required. Um, so you have a year. So I would expect if you do not officially resign, you will continue to hear from them for payment for an entire year because they are a business and they want to make money. So if if you're very firm and, and you're sure, you could fill out this resignation form. And several people have and have contacted us about that language at the bottom. And it is the first time I looked at it, I was like, oh, this is really confusing and maybe a little bit scary. Remember, the license you are practicing on is your state license. The certificate of clinical competency is not a license to practice. It is a certificate that you are purchasing. So they don't have a say whether you get to practice in your state clinically or not. They do not have a say if you supervise or not. They don't have a say if you, you know, if if you get to do the things that your job requires you to do. What you can't do anymore is sign with your CCC. You cannot supervise a student or a fellow who is pursuing the CCC because as it stands right now, you a supervisor has to have that product to supervise someone who wants to pursue the product. So I think everyone's really clear in making that choice. Everyone understands that you're not going to sign CCC anymore, but you absolutely still can practice clinically. So don't let the form scare you. Um, proceed. Yeah. And for people who are worried about reinstatement, like reinstatement feels like this big, massive, scary thing that requires all these different steps. Like it's literally retaking the praxis and paying a fee and then showing evidence of your CEUs that you probably have to get for your state license anyway. So it costs $146 to take the praxis. If you're really deeply, deeply concerned, you could just go take the praxis and it's valid for five years. And if you pass, then you know you can you can release your fees and then you have five years to reinstate them um, and you have your praxis score that you need to do that. So there's just different ways that people could go about this and mitigate the risk. But we'll get back to what Chris is talking about. Oh, did you ask me? I just did a little math. We know I'm not a numbers girl, but I got out a calculator. With that praxis cost, if you were to take it once and fail, and then maybe brush up, you know, brush up. There's all kinds of free practice things online. I know because I search those to use them on exams in my classes if my students <laughs> are listening. Um, and if you then, you know, brushed up a little bit, even just for free and took it again, you are only paying $67 more than you would for one year of the lowest ASHA cost of $225 if you're getting the membership and the CCC. You're only spending $67 more. So if you let your C's go for two years, you've still experienced a savings. There you go. So there you go. Do you feel like not having your CCC makes you a less competent clinician? <laughs> I think it would be a little self-sabotaging if I said yes. Um, no, I. nothing has changed in the last couple of weeks since I've dropped the C's. You know, it's nothing, nothing is intended to change. You know, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing, which is, you know, continuing to educate myself, continuing to take courses that are relevant to 
you know, my specific population. I work with pediatrics, so, um, you know, continuing to just stay educated in that. Um, I have so many resources outside of ASHA that I can continue to access, will continue to access. So I don't think it really is going to change anything for me. Isn't it frustrating that we can't be members of ASHA without holding the C's? Like, it'd be nice to have yes. an avenue where we could have access to the journals and like some of the membership benefits mm -hmm. without paying for the C's. But that would be nice. Do that. And yes, that, that is something I would kind of like to see change is just having more options for just ways, like you said, ways to access ASHA's resources that don't have to do with whether you're certified by them or not. And if you could be in the boardroom with the ASHA board of directors, what would you say to them other than having more options? Right, something along the lines of that. Um, but I also just, I personally feel like ASHA doesn't really hit the nail on the head with, you know, showing up for those of us who are in the field every day. Um, I know you've said a lot too in, in your podcasts and things that um, ASHA is really a lot of academia um, people. And I do, I do just feel like overall, there is just a little bit of that, that disconnect be, between <laughs> Big Daddy Asha is, you know, up here, and they're kind of on their own level. And I see attempts to listen to what these everyday clinicians are saying, and kind of like make some changes here and there. But I just feel like overall, they're just not quite getting it. You know, so I don't know what that would look like if it's just getting some younger, maybe less experienced clinicians, you know, sometimes even if we don't have a lot of experience or years under our belts, we still have things to say and that can shape the future of ASHA. Um, I see ASHA as very much like kind of reactive instead of proactive, if that makes sense. So that's something I'd like to see them change. What would you say to the board members in the room who are like, how dare you not call me a practicing SLP? I am a practicing <laughs> SLP. I'm in it just like you are. What would you say? That you shouldn't take it so personally. <laughs> you know, um, yes, we're all practicing. We're all SLPs. But, um, and this is something I was going to talk about is like the for the future of SLP. I just feel like to be an SLP could mean a million different things. There's so many options in this field, and I almost feel like maybe too many <laughs> in a way, that if if you're trying to tell ASHA, you're not connecting with me, you're kind of out of touch, you know, you're focusing more on the education and the academia, and you're not focusing on, you know, what I do for my nine to five, like it's just not matching. And they say, but I am an SLP. I understand you. It's, it's this mis it's a miscommunication between communication experts, you know, mm -hmm. of, yeah, but you're not listening to me. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, there's, I think it gets very heated very quickly too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to say? To Asha? Or, or just in, in general. general. <laughs> yeah. Anything you want to um, say to SLPs listening? Hmm. There's, yeah, again, I just feel like sometimes 
the the field of speech language pathology feels so very large and there's so many different avenues you have pediatrics you have adults hospitals schools private practice insurance private pet it could be anything um so i like the idea of finding your niche within the field or niche i never know how to pronounce it but <laughs> yeah and really focusing on doing what you can to make that area as like good as it can be if that makes sense um so i was trying to think of some lofty goals for the field of slp and i was thinking um like grad schools that allow you to set a focus um you know so you can do more deep training in one certain area um or just maybe i don't even know something like a name change for the profession mm -hmm. i'm on board <laughs> yeah because speech language pathology the general population doesn't really know what a pathologist is or what it does and we do more than speech language you know so those are some ideas that i have how we get from a to b i don't know but <laughs> that's why we all work together right yep and i think i just want to say too like it is a position of privilege to be able to drop the seeds like you're a business owner yes i'm a business owner we both live in states that don't require the seeds for medicaid for state licensing but i still think it's easy for slps to be in that position of privilege and still pay for the C's just in case. So I just want to yes. commend yeah. you for, you know, thinking hard about it, thinking for yourself, making the decision that's right for you, um, and just taking the time to really examine if the C's are necessary or not. Because I think we're just so stuck as a field in feeling like they are right. absolutely vital <laughs> to the oxygen that we breathe. And right. And I, yeah, that reminds me of the argument I've seen is just, well, I have to, I would have to take the praxis again if I ever wanted my C's. And <laughs> I did think about that for a little bit. And I thought, well, if, and this is all, again, I'm just going on the what ifs, um, if way down the road, I need to take the praxis again, I should be able to pass the praxis <laughs> if I am a competent clinician. <laughs> and it would cost less, significantly less money like the people that write these tests, like they make a lot of money off of test prep materials and you can buy those directly from the company that makes the test. You can buy them from a million different SLPs who make that content. Like you could spend a couple hundred bucks on test prep materials and pass it no problem versus 225 a year for 30 years, <laughs> just in case. Yes, it's always the just in case, but. I think I'm prepared for the future without my C's. <laughs> yes, you are. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much, Megan. What a brilliant woman. I want it. Kristen, this is Jeanette. I want to be your friend. I was already following you. I, I Googled it. We're five hours away. We can, we can be in the middle. <laughs> Drive your bus. I want to see it. Um, she's so smart. The things that she said were so good. Like, again, I mean, I don't know. I've, I'm lost in my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I, I think it's inspiring for anybody who is in that position of privilege where it's like, I could drop them if I want to, 
Um, but again, like everybody needs to make the choice that's right for them because some of us have more job security than others. Some of us live in states with regulations that are a little more tricky to navigate. Everybody just has to continue to make the choice that's best for them. I think something that she said is interesting that I've seen a lot, maybe more on Facebook than on Instagram. Um, For those who follow us closely, I manage the Facebook content alone and, and our demographic there is a little bit different than our demographic on Instagram. So I think I'm seeing it more on Facebook, but what I'm seeing on Facebook is um, the words insurance. I'm, I keep mine as an insurance policy in, and really I'm seeing that from a lot of people who comment that they've left the field, but maintain them as an insurance policy in case they ever want to go back and, you know, if, if you think about insurance, it's a smart thing, right? We have car insurance just in case we crash because it's thousands of dollars to get a new car or, you know, much, much more than that. If someone is injured, we have homeowners insurance in case our house burns down. You know, these are multi thousands of dollars, catastrophic things. And that's why we carry insurance. With SLP, the 225 a year is not the same as insurance. And I think I would I would propose people stop categorizing it in that way as well. Because if you want to go back, it is not an emergency where your house has burnt down or you've been in a car accident and someone is injured. Uh, you can just go take the test for less money than the insurance that you've been paying and maybe the same or slightly more if you need to pay for some test prep. And so Asha has done a very good job of instilling fear into people about what if I need to go back someday? I'll just keep this insurance. Man, if you've been out that long and and you go back, you're going to need to take some continuing education and brush up anyway because you've been out of it for so long things have changed. So um, something to think about. It's not actually an insurance policy like it would be if something happened. I I can't hear you, Megan. We lost you. You're not frozen, but you're quiet. I because I'm muted. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm doing some quick math. So according to the 2022 ASHA member profile, they report that there's a hundred and ninety nine thousand nine hundred and forty two. SLPs who are members of ASHA. But what's interesting is the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that there's 162,760 SLPs. So that means there's 37,182, theoretically, I mean, take all of this with a grain of salt, but theoretically, there's 37,182 SLPs who are who pay ASHA dues and pay for the CCC that are not working. Like they're not being tracked by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. If we multiply that that by $225 a year, that means that ASHA is getting about 8.4-ish million dollars a year from theoretically, again, we can't actually prove this. (laughs) We're just looking at the numbers. $8.4 million from SLPs who are 
keeping this insurance policy. And the thing is, like, they could, you could leave the field and come back without your seeds if you maintain your state license or reestablish your state license. So I don't understand it, but everybody gets to make their choice. Yeah. We keep saying people, we need people to join us in this journey, in this movement. In the time that you let your seeds go, if that's what you do want to do, or if you're thinking about it and in a time where you're thinking about it between now and when you decide, we have someone who is so active on our socials, both Facebook and Instagram, who is literally looking up job postings in her state and sending the template that we have at fixslp.com and clip quick links um, written by our friend Brooke Richardson. She's sending that to those companies that have job postings that require the CCC to educate them that they're losing out on great application or applicants. And so that's something that you could do as well. You don't even have to um, browse job posting sites. You could just send it to an employer in your area or your employer who currently requires it. We need people to start these conversations. So hopefully... If people have let their CCC go and they decide later that they want to come back or they've left the field completely and want to come back, it's not a requirement anymore. It's truly an optional thing. So it's a good way to get in and a good way to spend a little, you know, 20 minutes just helping the field move forward. So those who come after us aren't sitting in the same spot that we're sitting in right now. Okay, so let's move on to our second conversation. This is with Courtney, and Courtney is in California. And Courtney, can we start by just telling us about your SLP slash audiology career? Sure, definitely. Um, So I graduated with my bachelor's in the 90s, and initially I did go into the field of audiology. Um, I went to... um, uh, University of North Carolina at Greensboro, got my master's in audiology, became an audiologist, um, had my C's in audiology. Um, and at that point, um, the field of audiology was uh, just starting to say, hey, you're going to need a, to have a clinical doctorate to practice. So I was you know, at a at a crossroads where I was either going to have to go back to school as an audiologist to obtain that, or, you know, I could look into going into school for another career. Um, my desire always was to work with children. It always was to work in the schools. Um, and primarily all my internships in audiology had been in the schools. Um, and I was looking to move back to my hometown of California. Um, and it educational audiology really the, the jobs just weren't there like they were um in North Carolina. So I did make the decision to go back to school um to obtain my master's in speech and become a school-based speech therapist, um, which I've been doing probably since about like 2001 2002-ish I don't know a while and you said that you when you switched over to speech pathology 
you had dropped your C's as an audiologist and you did not pursue the CCC as an SLP ever. Correct. Cool. And do you feel like that makes you less than? Do you feel like you're missing out on like anything, any qualifications or? No, I don't. Um, personally, I know it was something that when I was getting my bachelor's in the field, it was, um, you know, it was very, very important from the program-based standpoint to say, this is important, you get them, you don't ever lose them. Um, when I was in graduate school for audiology, it was the same thing. Um, I'm just going to pause it there because it's that concept of like you, you want to get them and you don't ever want to lose them. And I'm just reading a comment on our Instagram account, somebody saying that they're dropping the C's, um, but saying also, I wish it was easy to pause your CCC membership during a season and more easily resume them. So much fear around letting them go because getting them back is complicated. And like, this is again, like we've said this so many times, I'll just say it again, that like keeping your C's is nothing more than paying money and doing 10 measly hours of professional development that doesn't even technically have to be continuing education. So, this concept that the CCC somehow represents competency is false and it is misleading. It is not protecting consumers. It is not guaranteeing com competency for SLPs. It is only ensuring that a national organization is basically coercing SLPs to join in order to be able to practice as an SLP. And then when I was in graduate school for, um, speech it also really was um the same you know there really was a big push to get them but ultimately when i looked at what was required for uh, my job as a school-based slp really um for my county it wasn't something that was a requirement um and in the schools in california it's required that you get your, um, at the time when I was going through, it, it was a clinical rehabilitation credential. Um, and so that was what was required to provide uh, speech services in the schools. Um, and they wanted you to have either your state license or your C's for billing. Uh, but then uh, the California Commission on Teacher Credentialing eventually phased out the clinical rehabilitation credential and they said okay now we're going to have a credential that's a speech language pathology credential and the requirements for that were um, pretty much the same as uh, your C's so um, and you're able to bill through that credential you would either have to be a credentialed therapist or a licensed um, therapist and at the time when I contacted the Commission on Teacher Credentialing and I said, hey, you know, what essentially would be the requirements for upgrading my credential, right? Changing from a clinical rehabilitative credential, because um, there's times when they have credentials and that will go through changes. And I anticipated, hey, I could be in this career for 20 years. And then they could say, hey, you're not allowed to provide services on this credential anymore. You need a speech pathology credential. 
So they said, well, here's here are the requirements. You have to show proof that um, you, uh, you know, went to an accredited graduate school, not a problem. You have to show proof that you did the nine month either CFY or RPE. So um, at that point, uh, I just, RPE, I'm assuming, just stands for their own version of Oh, it's, it's, um, it's for your state license. It's required professional experience. So in California, that would be the requirement to get your state license, okay. um, which is essentially the same as yeah. it, it's a nine month. Yeah. Uh, reporting to the state or in this case, the education commission, commission mm -hmm. versus ASHA. ASHA. Um, and because I had done the required professional experience for the state license, all I had to do was just show them that I had done that for the state license. Um, so again, they didn't, in order to transfer or essentially or upgrade my credential, I didn't have to show anything that I didn't already have from having gone through a graduate program or doing the procedure to get the state license. And then they upgraded my credential. So um, so at this point, as far as the requirement to work um, in the schools where in my county, it's um, the speech language pathology credential, which essentially the requirements mimic what, um, what ASHA's requirements are. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, personally, there are i i recognize and value and appreciate people who have uh put the c's after their name you know and and i can understand why it's very important to them and that um and that they do use that professionally um for me I'm to the point right now where I'm going on over 20 years in the field that it's just something that um, it doesn't bother me not to use those initials after my name. I, um, I've, you know, been doing this a long time um, and it's, you know, as far as like my day to day life. Um, my relationships with my teachers, my relationship with my parents, my relationships with my students, you know, I, I'm, I love my job and I love what I've done and I've never felt like because I didn't have my C's that um, it, I, I was somehow inadequate at providing the services that I've been providing. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And if you were in the boardroom with the ASHA board of directors, would you have anything that you would want to share with them? You know, I would say that after being in this field, as long as I have, this field has changed significantly. Our scope of practice has grown exponentially almost. Um, you know, when I started, um, caseloads were smaller. Um, I feel that the needs of our students were not as significant as they are now. Um, I definitely, in my experience, um, the, 
the students that were receiving early intervention services are nowhere near the numbers that we have now. Um, I mean, I want to say when I started out, I had probably four preschool students, um, and that was for an entire district. And now, you know, the districts in my community are seeing near 80 to 100 preschool students. I mean, that's a significant number. Um, I, it's my understanding when I was in grad school, you know, it was uh, very competitive. It was, um, you know, very intense. I did, I do remember asking professors, you, no you know, uh, for, and this is for both audiology and speech pathology, you know, why, why are our programs so small? Why, you know, is it? I'm curious what you have to say about this, Jeanette. That you can only take, you know, 15 students, 20 students. And the explanation that I was given was that the programs are very expensive to run. Um, and a lot of it is from more of that medical side, you know, the equipment um, for like swallowing, for voice, um, it's it's time intensive and it's expensive. Um, and I feel that just with the amount of knowledge that we have to know to kind of cover both the medical side and the educational side, um, it it would be a good idea to completely divide up the programs and make one that is more geared toward the medical setting and one that's geared more towards the educational setting. And I would love it if, um, you know, if a tract was developed to be an educational speech pathologist, if you could allow more people to be in that program um, and you know, really address the shortage um, that our our profession is experiencing because, I mean, it's very, very, very real. We all are carrying very high caseloads. There's uh, school districts nationwide that just have open positions that they carry year after year after year. Um, and, you know, it's doing a disservice to uh, those of us that are in the profession because we're taking on additional work um, and it's doing a disservice to our students as well. So that is, that is what I would I would say that I think things need to change um, as far as the way the graduate programs are run to really help our our profession overall. And anything you want to say about what you would like to see for? Oh, are you talking, Jeanette? Cause just... I was. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I have so many things to say. How long is this podcast? Uh, <laughs> let, let me touch first on, because you said you're curious about what I think. Let's talk about um, university cohort sizes. I don't. I could be wrong, but I don't think there's a hard and fast rule of um, like teacher to student ratios in terms of the CAA. I'd love to stand corrected. So I'm going to say, I don't think there is, but I, I could be wrong. So if I'm wrong, please respectfully correct me. Uh, but 
universities will sometimes have those things. So our, the university where I'm at values a smaller class size, right? And so we're looking at starting a January cohort this year. And for the most part, our, our first cohorts accelerated. So they, they get through in four year or four semesters. It's like 15 months. And this January cohort will be a traditional five semester program. And at some points they'll be overlapping because they're not following the same sequence of courses. And so the conversation that we literally just had today was, let's just hypothetically say dysphagia because that's what I teach. Are they all going to take it together? And I'm, am I going to have double the class size or are they going to take it separate? And I'm sure you can imagine in a world where the costs are going up for everything, what benefits the university more? Well, it's me teaching 30 plus students in one class instead of two classes of smaller cohorts, right? And so while I would vote two classes, more than likely it will be one. And so that that is a university decision that is outside of our department's ability. You know, that's the dean, that's the board, that's the president, that's, you know, the agendas that we have to work under are so far outside of our control um, that that we're, we're bound to it. And it's so frustrating. Um, and I, so I don't think that it necessarily costs more to run like a medical SLP program. I, no, no, it like, doesn't. My grad school did not have any medical equipment. Like we were not well, being trained. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about tracks, which was like the next suggestion, uh, sure, you would want to get an IOB. You would want to have fees equipment. You might want to have the ability to strobe because if we're actually talking about truly training medical SLPs, then we need to truly train train them in the things that they're going to be needed. You know, but shouldn't that be happening anyway? Like whether there's a track or not? Oh, but it's not. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I'm yeah. just that was just my point. Yeah, I know. Like, we, we have so and part of the issue too is the number of supervisors available. Right. Like, yeah. If they all have to have their C's, there's <laughs> just a limited number but in a certain area. I have seen this too. And then this this does this this helps, but it also hurts. So in Ohio, many years ago, there used to be a consortium called Omni. And Omni was a great idea. Um, I was already a practicing clinician by the time it started. So I'm I'm old enough to remember when it was happening. I was getting my my PhD while it was happening. And a, it was it was founded on a grant. And this grant paid for, I don't know, maybe six or seven universities. I'm not sure how many were involved. They all came together as one, almost like its own university. And they had professors from every university teaching in this program that was in the consortium. And the grant paid for the students to go through for free. And it was a school-based focused program. So this program was all online and it was specifically training 
students all over the state to be school SLPs because we had a shortage uh, that was dire, right? So they got this grant and they were going to train these school SLPs. And it was right at the beginning. I'm sure of it. You know, they're, they, they were placing students, students could go interview. There were, there were a couple different models, I think. But by the end of this grant, the last couple cohorts that went through had very difficult times finding jobs. And so they did such a good job at the beginning, but that by the end, while there were maybe some jobs left, students were having to find themselves in a position where maybe they would have to move four hours away or something like that just to get a job. And that's how I ended up with... um, Super, that's how I ended up in a position where I was sur- supervising a clinical fellow in a skilled nursing facility. She was married, she had a child, and her husband was not able to leave his job. And there was no school hiring within a commutable distance of where they lived. And even if they like moved a little closer to the job, it was still going to be too far of a commute for both of them. Um, So she found herself in a position where she needed to pay the grant back because she didn't take a school position. And so she took the highest paying medical job she could find. And she had no idea what she was doing. And that's not her fault. But I bet she had the thief. I bet she, she was did. getting her thief. Right, right. And so I am tying this back that's into crazy. these things we are screaming about that you know, she, she was, and I think she is in the schools now, but, you know, she was prepared for working in a school and, and knew nothing yeah. about aphasia, knew nothing about cognition. And it was just, That's it wild. was a mess. What happened? But it's not that wild because it happens all the time. Yeah. But it was a mess for her and for, it was a disservice to everyone. So having these yeah. tracks is a great idea but then there has to be legislation that would prevent you from working on the other side because right. then it just makes the problem worse. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into this in as we go down other topics, because again, this is our first topic <laughs> of many, but I firmly believe that medical speech pathology and school-based speech, speech pathology are two very, very different things. One is not harder than the other one's not better than the other one's not more challenging like none of that they're just very very different yeah settings different skill sets different trainings required we need yeah. separate trainings we need separate licenses but that's again we'll get to that and you have you done both I'm just curious I'm I'm curious Megan have you been in the schools I survived one year in the schools okay so we've both done schools I I had three and you had yeah so we both we're both agreeing with that with the experience of being able to yeah. say that they are very different. We're coming from a place of experience. Yeah. Okay, let's wrap up this conversation with you Courtney. Want to say about what you would like to see for the future of SLP? I would love to see more. I believe there is a desire for more people to be in the field. And I believe that the opportunities aren't there for them to receive the education and become speech therapists, I think that, or speech pathologists. Um, 
I think that um, if I I think that um, there's definitely a need for slippers. Um, if you know, I feel that there are a lot of um, graduate programs that are doing uh, you know distance distance learning. Um, I went through, for my master's in speech, I did go through um, a distance learning program. I went through um, Cal State Northridge. Uh, and I was really, really happy with the education that I received there. And that's coming from a person who went through a, an audiology master's where I was on campus. You know, So I feel like I kind of had a unique perspective in that I've done grad school in person and I've done grad school online, um, I feel like the more that, you know, we kind of make the distance programs um, acceptable and accessible to to people, um, you know, the the more we can build up our, our profession and really address this shortage because um, it's real and I don't see it going away anytime soon. All right, so now we're going to welcome our friend Brooke Richardson of the Modern Med SLP. Was that right, Brooke? Is that That's right. Okay. Um, Brooke is not necessarily the, the lead on what we want to talk about, but this was a very last minute thing we're adding into our recording today, and she was the only one available to join us right now. Um, so Brooke is from North Carolina, and she has connected with other Fearless Fixers on Pumble in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And um, Brooke, why don't you just give us a little rundown about what's going on on that channel? Yeah, so more there are a few people who are a little bit more active. Um, and it's really exciting to see that there's some people who are connected with the uh, state association and the folks in charge of the state association and are having these conversations about how we can get involved locally whether it's volunteering, joining our state association, and things like that to try and make a difference on a very local scale. And also some conversations about changing or actually clarifying the wording around Medicaid billing because it's pretty vague and um, just really exciting to see these open conversations happening between fellow clinicians and people who want change and you're, you're doing a, a great service by offering this community and building this community. So thank you both so much for making this happen. Sure. So if people in North Carolina specifically want to join the conversation, want to see what's going on, potentially contribute, what is the best thing for them to do right now? I would say to download the Pumble app and join using the link through your quick links on Fix SLP. That's what I did. And I will say, I know that some people are a little bit hesitant to add another app to check, uh, myself included, but I'm not somebody who usually has alerts on my phone, so I'm not going to be alerted to every email message or text message or Facebook post or whatever, but I do have alerts turned on for the Fix SLP, what's it called, a channel, I think, on Pumble. Uh, so that I can, it. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, so I would suggest downloading the app and 
joining your state channel. And if you are willing, turn on the alerts so you don't have to remember to check Pumble and uh, just join in the conversation because people are there for change. And uh, it's a really good, supportive, collaborative community. I've connected with complete strangers and we have the same goal. So I strongly encourage people to join. That's awesome. And folks, she was not coached. We got on that <laughs> high, we pressed record. So she is going to be hired to tell you how to join Pumble because <laughs> she said what I was going to say to you. Um, if you do have trouble joining Pumble, just message. Megan and I will respond and try to help you get into your channel and on to Pumble. Um, but yeah, Brooke, that's really exciting. So Megan and I have started to say over and over, we cannot fix everything. Mm-mm. We need every listener every reader, every follower, every fearless fixer to just do something small. Um, and and if we can all do something small, we will move that much closer to change. And so the state level is where it's at because every state has a different issue and you do not need to rely on ASHA. They're not gonna do it for us. Your state association might help. We're big fans of state association. So you know, we we keep saying state associations are not excluded from Pumble. We want them in there. We want everybody collaborating or Pumble then going to the state association to talk, whatever. So join North Carolina. We've got stuff going on. Um, yes. Join North Carolina. Join whatever state mm-hmm. you're in. And Any- yeah, just dive in and see what you can do. Any questions for her, Megan, or did we cover it? Okay. Megan said we covered it. Um, I just had one more thought. Oh, like Brooke said, I'm also not a um, notifications person and I actually don't have notifications on because Megan and I are like in every state. (laughs) And so I can't do that in my life. So if you have conversations going on in your state channel and we're missing them, please notify us, send us a message on Facebook send us a message on Instagram that those are the two places we'll get them the quickest. You can send us an email at team at fixslp.com or on Pumble. Those are a lot of things for us to check. So we're not some of those things. We only check once a week, Um, but let us know. We'll get with you. Like we're getting with the North Carolina folks and we'll have you on the podcast or we'll highlight you on our socials because we really do want to support everyone who's making an effort. So well, and can I ask you, Jeanette, can yeah. students and future SLPs also join these conversations um, and channels? Absolutely. And they should. I tell my students all the time, you are the generation that is going to make a difference for our field. I am halfway done. And this is going to take a long time. So, you know, I... I keep joking, like some of us could be dead until all of the changes that we need in this field are made. And then there's going to be new problems that, you know, then you'll be halfway done and you can bring up the next generation. So yes, students, please join. This is your future career. Shape it to what you want it to be. Yes. Don't don't let Asha tell you what it's going to be. Make it what you want. So yes, students, get in there. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. All right, Brooke. Thank you, Brooke. Thanks for really last minute hopping in. We appreciate you. Yeah, no worries. It worked out perfectly. Actually, my my one meeting that I had at this time fell through. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Enjoy. Thank you. Bye.
those were three really great interviews. Um, I think it was interesting to hear from our two different, our, our first two, the one who's going to, or who just did let her CCC go. And then really to hear from someone who has never had the CCC, who has been able as to- As an SLP. She had it as an audiologist, but yeah. Okay. Okay. As an SLP. I'm sorry. But so as an SLP has never really practiced with that and seems to be thriving, right? She's just as competent. She is just as confident. She's just as great with her students and her parents. And I think that that's a true testament of what it can look like to practice without. So, um, yeah. And you look, I mean, she has the exact same I was going to say credentials, but that's not the right words. All the exact same. She's training. met all of the same requirements. Yeah. Yeah. Not just the training, like the education and the praxis and the number of supervised work hours. Like she's, it's the exact same requirements. And like, it's so frustrating that someone like her can't supervise a student or a CF or somebody right. who's just right. entering the field. Like it's just, it is a problem for our field that we're so tied up into the certification that is theoretically optional. Right. So, and then, you know, anytime we get to talk to Brooke is fun. So I hope we see those Pumble numbers go up Uh, again, fixslp.com under quick links. It's at, it's currently the very first link at the top. So you'll want to download Pumble. I would just leave it open and then go to our website and click the link and it should get you right there. That's what I did. Um, So we'd love to see you guys starting to figure things out and, and getting this movement, growing this movement, I guess, growing this movement beyond just Megan and I sitting here, her calmly talking and me (laughs) into the microphone. All right. Thanks, Jeanette. Sure. Talk to you next week, everybody. Thanks for fixing it. Bye. Bye.